Welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today's guest is Steve Berger, a certified facilitator for smart recovery meetings in Orange County, California. His experience with both AA and SMART provide him a unique perspective on recovery that I think you'll enjoy hearing. Steve is not an official SMART recovery spokesperson, and his commentary is his own opinion. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Oh, fine, thanks. Uh, thank you for contributing your article. Um, that will be published tomorrow. And thank you also for agreeing to do this podcast. I've been looking forward to it. I think I'm going to learn a lot. Well, thanks for having me on your uh, show. Absolutely. Um, in your article that you that you wrote, um, you're, you're talking about your experience in AA and that, you know, it was difficult for you. You didn't have any agnostic meetings that were nearby in your community. So uh, rather than fight it, you decided to go out and try something different, which you did. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, sure. I, you know, not to uh, dismiss uh, 12-step, I, I did go for 12 years and, and had a lot of um, sobriety built up. Uh, but um, eventually my enthusiasm for the program waned and I sort of drifted away and just stopped going. Uh, I maintained my sobriety for several years after, but eventually uh, relapsed and decided to uh, return to 12-step. Uh, and uh, achieved, again, a couple of years of sobriety, but I had a growing uh, discontent with uh, the program. I've been, uh, you know, atheist, agnostic, whatever you want to call it, like since high school, before, you know, before I got in trouble with, with drugs. And, uh, and when I first got sober, uh, I was told I needed to comply with this program in order to... Uh, stay sober. And somehow I managed to, uh, uh, puts along and stuff, but never really, I never really worked the steps or, mm -hmm. um, was in enthusiastic about the program, but I did, uh, stay sober. So whatever influence they had, I, I am very grateful for. Yeah. And you mentioned in the article that, and I agree with you on this, it was the fellowship that was the great strength of AA. Um, I wonder, have you ever heard of John Stewart? Um, he he has a blog that's called Leaving AA. Uh, to be honest, the, the first contact or knowledge I've had of him was listening to your podcast with his interview. Well, your experience reminds me a lot of his, and your attitude and your approach reminds me a lot of his. Um, he's, a, he's a really sharp guy, but... You know, AA wasn't doing it for him either. So, um, but he, and he likes cognitive behavioral therapy, but he doesn't um, dismiss AA outright um, and finds parts of it useful. And I, I saw that with you too. But so anyway, I'm kind of interested in learning about what you went to SMART was your choice after leaving Yeah, cor AA. correct. I, I um, found myself kind of complaining about the program and not being happy there and putting out a lot of negativity at the meeting. So I decided this, you, you know, I needed to put my, you, you know, money where my mouth was, I guess. And and so I decided to look into the SMART recovery program. And uh, I started going to a meeting uh, and stopped going to 12-step uh, altogether. And after about uh, six months in, the meet, in this one meeting, I uh, decided to become a, a facilitator. You can... Uh, get the training at smartrecovery.org. And um, 
you know, eventually, hopefully, hopefully uh, leading a meeting of your own. Okay, you can do do the training online. Correct. They have a a, pro, a facilitator training. Uh, they they uh, teach you for about it's about a six week course. They say a total of about thirty five hours of uh, reading, watching videos, listening to uh, audios, and um, you know, taking quizzes, that sort of stuff. It's a very good uh, training in the program. And uh, mm -hmm. I often advise my meeting attendees just to take it, even if you never intend on doing a, a facilitating meetings, just, mm -hmm. just for a, a firm grounding in the program. So what's it like for somebody? What was it like for you to go to your first SMART meeting? Um, one characteristic that I really like of SMART is they encourage uh, everyone to, to share, mm -hmm. you know, they don't make it mandatory. They allow you to pass or, or not share, right. but, um, everybody gets a little input if they choose. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I've been to many an AA meeting where there seems to be a core group of regulars and it's hard for newcomers to sort of break in. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, smart has this, uh, what they call the check-in where you go around the room and everybody gets to, uh, you know, check in with how they're doing and things. And uh, mm -hmm. so I like that inclusiveness about it. Yeah. Is it is it um, as social as AA uh, like that? Or, or do you feel more like you're, oh, I don't know. Is it more like therapy type thing when you when you get there? Um, well, another uh, feature is that they allow crosstalk. Right. So the uh, meetings can often resemble especially during the middle discussion period, a uh, group therapy. Right. And uh, although SMART is the first to admit that they don't claim to be a substitute for uh, professional therapy, right. but they do um, have crosstalk with everybody putting in. And, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> so it is a little more of a group involvement. Yeah, I've, I've uh, actually done a group therapy uh, before. And that was actually very helpful for me. And there was some, you know, you could actually talk to the other people that were in therapy with you and, and, um, you know, have something to say about whatever is going on with their, their situation. So anyway, I'm just kind of looking at the meeting format that you had sent me and, um, where you start, you open up the meeting and they do mention that the meetings are confidential, just like, you know, AA, you, you don't have to worry about your privacy being violated. Um, and also, um, it's for any addiction. Correct. We, we will even, um, welcome, we even welcome, uh, like gamblers, um, you know, people with other sort of behavioral addictions, the, uh, oddest one. And it turns out it was a great contribution to the group was a, a gentleman who came in and, uh, said he was addicted to, uh, he was kind of a rageaholic mm -hmm. and, and what brought him in was uh, he had a road rage incident. The next thing you know, he looks back and his kids are who are strapped in in the back seat are just bawling their eyes out and they're really scared of their dad. And and so he decided to seek help in a meeting. And, uh, you know, I, I think it helped him out and, and realize what he can do to, you know, some simple cognitive behavioral techniques to, you know, diffuse that uh, road rage. What's the background of SMART? How did it start? Well, uh, SMART uh, started out as uh, um, what was called rational recovery Okay. Uh, back when. And uh, in the 90s, they, uh, uh, it says they severed ties with rational recovery and, and became SMART. 
and uh, basically adopted uh, cognitive behavioral tools, which were developed, you know, in the 50s, 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. et cetera, uh, to addiction. The, mm -hmm. the uh, cognitive behavioral therapy was developed more for, for anyone with, you know, psychological issues that they wanted to get therapy for. And um, mm -hmm. they adapted these tools to use, um, you know, for addicts. And, uh, you know, they've been slow growing. They've been out around for a little over 20 years. And, um, you know, again, it, like in the county where I live, we have uh, over 1,200 uh, AA meetings and uh, four smart meetings. So we're yeah. still quite small. Yeah. Um, something that was also interesting when I, I was at the smart website, and I think it was actually your website, they actually have links to the other um other programs that people can go to where, whereas, you know, AA doesn't do that. They won't ever put a smart, a link to smart on their website. Um, which is too bad because I think that a lot of AAs could benefit from this. Well, uh, the, the smart, um, attitude is that, um, you know, whatever works for you. I, you mm -hmm. know, even in like, uh, San Diego County near me, uh, that's the home of Tom Harvath, who's the uh, president of SMART. And so there's, it's been, you know, there's been a lot of uh, meetings there and it's, it, it is theoretically possible to someone just to go to SMART meetings any day of the week and do their mm -hmm. recovery. But even in, in that County, about half of the people who go to SMART also go to AA or NA or some other 12 step. So mm -hmm. the SMART feeling uh, smart feeling is that you do what you need to, you know, to, to, right. to stay sober and you can benefit from even in AA, they say, take what you want and leave the rest. So, so, right. so, you know, go to AA and take what you want. Um, mm -hmm. one of the big advantage of, uh, AA again, not just the numbers of meetings, but they do have the sponsorship system mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, smart does not have that. And they do have, uh, a, you know, it's been around a long enough. There's a lot of socialization, you know, picnics and, you know, barbecues. Yeah. There's right. a lot of things like that going on, which, uh, as of now is pretty minimal and smart. Yeah. That's very true about AA There's a lot of social stuff, which I'm starting to get more and more involved in all the time. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and, it, and, you know, regardless of what program you're in, it's useful to have sober friends, you know, after Absolutely. hours, not just during meetings. Yep. I read that the more people that you have in your life that support your abstinence, the more likely you are to succeed in that. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. So I'm looking also at, you know, you're talking about some of the differences between SMART and 12-step programs. And one of the differences is the 12-step programs, you know, emphasize, you know, we're powerless, whereas SMART is self-empowering. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Sure. That difference. I, I admit, when I first went to to uh, twelve step, and I you know heard the first step and, and stuff, mm -hmm. I was a little perplexed. You know, what do they mean by this? And and uh, I uh, uh, came to believe, or at least my definition was that once you start drinking or using or whatever, you really cannot control what events mm -hmm. might happen the rest of the the time. Right. You're out, you can be out of control just with one drink. Stuff, and, that, and that's very true. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was a little had a little more difficulty applying that to periods when I was sober. Right. And, um, you know, I know there are people in AA who feel that you're powerless all the time over your yep. your over alcohol. But I never quite 
fit in with that. And um, what I liked about SMART is it's, um, again, self-empowering. The S&M of SMART is Mm self-management. SMART stands for self-management and recovery training. And Mm -hmm. uh, so you take the, we we view recovery as our own responsibility. Right. And we don't, you know, turn it over or rely on a higher power or or however you you want to call it. Right. I like that. Yeah. And and, and and essentially that's really Towards the end when I was going to AA, I would have shares that kind of reflected that. Like, you, you know, you know, like you may be powerless over alcohol after you take a drink, but you have the power to pick up the phone and call someone before you drink. Well, I feel the same way about that anyway. I, um, I always had had a problem with sponsors who told me that I was powerless over people, places and things. Um, no, I I just saw powerless over alcohol is that once I start drinking, I can't control what's going to happen after that. But, um, Today, I do have some some power over whether or not I decide to drink, but I think it's good to emphasize that. I think that people in AA could benefit from a little bit of that as well. Yeah, and, to- and that- towards the end of my uh, going to AA, you know, my shares really were reflecting a lot of that sort of philosophy. Another thing, and this is, I find this interesting because we had an experience at our group, a young lady coming uh, to meetings, and she hated that introduction of I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. That's smart. You don't label yourselves. Uh, cor- correct. We don't think they're helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's reasonable to have people accept that they have a, as they, I, I guess as they define it in the DSM-5, a substance abuse problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they they def- choose to define themselves as having a disease, uh, you know, that's their business. I, in my opinion, it's not helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even even if someone has you know diabetes, I I say you know they say I'm a diabetic, and I says, well, you're not a diabetic. You just are a person who has blood sugar problems. You're, you yeah, have you diabetes, go. and it really isn't your identity. Um, and and the the smart I. Uh, philosophy is um, that uh, <clears throat> labeling yourself with uh, an issue or a problem can be, uh, uh, again, one of those negative stereotypes that you may apply to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really not helpful. Yep. Labels can be a bit of a barrier, too. I remember, because I started having a problem with alcohol pretty early in my life, and when I was 19 years old, I was considering getting help. But that word alcoholic kind of stuck with me. I thought, I'm not an alcoholic. I, you know, I can't go to AA because I didn't think I was an alcoholic, uh, not even really knowing what one was. Um, but if you don't even have to worry about the label, all you have to do is say, hey, I, I'm having a problem right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You just need to come in if you want help. There, there are a lot of people who will come to SMART because mm-hmm. they're just unsure about their drinking. Mm-hmm. And if they go to AA, they're told you must have a desire to stop drinking. They're, they're not right. allowed in if they're ambiguous. Yeah. And, uh, or, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who come in anyways to AA. Mm-hmm. But um, they're uh, in SMART. When people come in like that, and it's not uncommon, we'll often discuss their drinking history and how they're doing. And other people will give feedback. And, you know, uh, one of the techniques we'll do is, is what's called uh, motivational interviewing and we'll mm-hmm. get them to say are you here because you want to drink moderately or are you here because you're having problems with drinking 
You know, why mm -hmm. did you come here? Is your boss going to fire you? Or, you know, did you get a DUI? And mm -hmm. by pointing out to them that they really do have a drinking problem, mm -hmm. um, they're often willing to stay and, uh, you know, go for abstinence. Yep. And I was reading in the uh, introduction to the handbook, which, by the way, I found amazing. If I had if I had stumbled across that handbook in 1988 when I was starting out, that would have been much more helpful to me than reading um, There's a Solution in the Big Book, by the way. Um, but it was talking about abstinence as being almost it's it's almost it's easier to it's almost easier to that's an easier approach to take because you don't have to worry about the ma managing the the substance you know you don't have to figure out how many is enough and all that type of thing so um, that kind of made sense to yeah, me no, it, it, yeah yeah and again we we go over that and, and there's not just like I've I've quote done abstinence uh, you know mm -hmm. in the past and um it's literally like, let's say I'll, I'll go out for dinner and they'll be having some wine or something and I'll have mm -hmm. a glass or two. And it's literally I'm after that, I'm literally white knuckling it until mm -hmm. I can get home and get as really drunk as I want to. Mm -hmm. y you know, it's basically frustrating. Uh, you know, yeah. when you get a uh, alcohol habit, your brain is used to a certain level of you know, your pleasure center stimulation and dopamine levels mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And having a drink or two is just a teaser. Yeah. And uh, your brain wants the full Monty. And uh, yep. that that was exactly my experience. So, so you know, when well-meaning friends or relatives say, oh, come on, can't you just have a glass of wine for dinner? And I yeah. said, well, the problem is I don't want a glass of wine. I want a bottle. And then skip the meal yeah. and give me another bottle, <laughs> you, you know. And, and that's just the way I am. So, yeah, abstinence is uh, uh, much so, easier. Yeah. yeah. and But, you know, what I, I also got from that, um, reading that um, introduction, I believe it was in that I, I read, is they distinguish between a just a small lapse and a relapse. So, which I thought, you know, because in AA sometimes it can be totally black and white. It's like I, I had one little sip. My sobriety date has to be changed. I have, you know, I have, you know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas, am I, am I getting this right? Whereas with smart, if you just have a little lapse, it's not that huge. I mean, you, you had a lapse, move on. Is that, is that, am I getting that, understanding that right? Yeah, that, that's correct. And, and um, th there is a little different, you know, a lapse can be described as, let's say someone has, does have that glass of wine with dinner and, mm -hmm. and maybe they didn't follow it up with, you know, getting out of control again. But mm -hmm. they, you know, came back to the meeting and said, this happened and I felt awful mm -hmm. and, you know, I was guilty. Uh, but f fortunately, I didn't drink after that. And then there are people who get fully back into their, uh, you know, blackout drinking, you know, every day and, you know, come in after, you know, a month or two. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in both those situations, we may try to, um, you know, unpack it. What led to that mm -hmm. first drink? You know, what happened and what did you learn? And, and um and yeah, we don't, uh, you know, sobriety time is just not an important thing. Yeah. The, the main thrust is on leading, uh, you know, a healthy, happy, productive life and, and not worried about when the last drink was or, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. You know, I, I, I wonder if that was designed on purpose. When I was talking to John Stewart, he said that it's almost like sometimes in AA that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, you're, you have in your mind that, you know, one drink is, is, is a relapse. And so if a person does 
it's almost like they they almost <laughs> feel like they have to just continue. Yeah, on. that's that that is an issue, and I think there's been some research to back that up. That when someone in AA does uh, have a lapse, it it does mm-hmm. tend to progress to a full blown you know relapse behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, uh, you know, that's another issue I think with labeling, Yeah. if you consider yourself, well, I had a drink now I got to have a bottle, you, you, you yeah. know, and, and that's not really true. But if you were thinking in terms of, Hey, this was just a lapse, this is just, you know, yeah. I, I don't have to go all the way out, you know, so it, it, easier said than done, but still, I think it's, I mean, there, it is possible that people could just have a little lapse, you know, learn from it. Right. And, and realize that you're in very slippery territory when, when you do do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it can be pretty dramatic in AA where you have to, you know, you get a new chip and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and you got to stand up for 30 days <laughs> and take a chip. Yeah. I, I know a few people who actually stopped going to AA because of that after a little lapse and is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were just yeah. too embarrassed to stand up for 30 days again. Yeah, I can understand that, too. And um, the sponsorship thing, too, because you said that, you know, um, Smart doesn't do sponsorship, AA does. I don't know if I'm so crazy about sponsorship, but I guess there could be some benefits to it. And you you pointed out when earlier that if you did both of them, you could take advantage of the sponsorship system in in AA. Do you think there's advantages to the sponsorship system? You know, I I think so. I I think there is some use to someone with a lot of sobriety who's been through it to sort of take Mm -hmm. you under their wing and and help you out. Uh, You can uh, learn a lot from them and, and, you know, get some wisdom. Again, it's, Mm -hmm. it's like anything. A lot of sponsors are different. You know, one sponsor I know who was at my smart meeting who was doing both. He had a sponsor mm-hmm. going to AA and coming to my smart meeting. His sponsor told him, you have to do smarter AA. You can't do both. So, so you know, wow. he left AA. And, and wow. uh, so sometimes you do run into sponsors who are, um, you know, kind of fundamentalist bookers, uh, whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of them out there, by the way. And that's that, that I have a concern about that. Sponsorship could be dangerous. It could be good though too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's nice to have someone that you can you can talk to outside of the meeting. Um, does that, by the way, happen in Smart? Do you kind of form relationships with people in the group that outside the meeting? Um, yes, we do. Uh, it's not discouraged. You know, Smart ha- has the position that it is up to the individual how they mm-hmm. socialize and who they socialize with. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of an interesting thing with with smart is we see a lot of people who are bringing in friends, you know, they, they find out about the program. And of course, they usually add using buddies or, you know, drinking buddies. And and so they'll, you know, drag them along. So mm-hmm. we, we tend, often see a lot of people who were friends beforehand. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. That's good. And then, of course, the other difference is um, smart is secular completely, whereas um, the 12 step programs are spiritually based. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the issues with um, uh, being, you know, quote, spiritually based mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, like when I first went to to, to AA and 12-step, uh, I was literally told I'm going to have to believe in and rely on a you know, higher power, supernatural mm-hmm. higher power. And, um, and it was just, you know, I, I actually yeah, did. No I actually else. studied a lot of theology and read about the history of religions and really worked hard 
to try to comply with the program and um, ultimately sort of settled on something that, you know, let's say Mm -hmm. the most secular alternative I could find. And, uh, you know, it was acceptable to my sponsor at the time. Well, again, reading through, and I haven't read the entire handbook, but just the the introductory part, it's, you know, it talks about that a little bit. It says, hey, talk about whatever's important to you in your life. If religion, spirituality is important to you, fine. But it's not the default, I guess, the, um, where it is in AA. And, you know, we even have a little bit of an issue in, in our secular AA meetings because, um, there are a lot of people that are atheists, agnostics, whatever, who feel that this AA is still a spiritual program, and they they assume that we all are spiritual like they are, and it co- it causes a bit of a problem. Yeah, one of the things I've shared at at twelve step meeting is that just the word itself is so poorly defined. I mean, spirituality yeah. can refer to anything from religious rapture when you're speaking in tongues to just a sense of awe when you're looking at the Grand Canyon exactly. and, uh, and anything in between. And it, it almost becomes meaningless or very vague. And then um, uh, if you're, you know, uh, atheist, agnostic, you, you have a lot of wariness about the term because for a lot of people, it means, you know— some sort of supernaturalism or or, or yeah. woo. And, um, you know, the best case scenario, if you look in the appendix of the big book, is spirit, uh, spiritual awakening can be referred to as just a change in, a, you know, a complete change in your attitude or outlook, you know, going and, yeah. and that is indeed true going from drinking to being sober. That really is a major change in your outlook and attitude. And so, um, you know, that that's kind of what they were, you know, trying to sell me, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, but then there's, you know, there's the praying and, you know, all this other stuff. Yeah. That's sort of, uh, yeah. okay. You know, it's, uh, we're, we, you know, I think the, the agnostic or secular AA meetings are a bit of an improvement over the traditional AA meetings, but still there's that, you know, a lot of the stuff that we read, even our, um, agnostic you know secular steps are still kind of written a lot of it with a kind of a spirit spiritual language and i see younger people sometimes um that haven't had the experience in a get a little disappointed because it's confusing it's like i don't need i don't need that you know let's just have something in plain english that we can we can read um Whereas the people who've had the experience in, in traditional AA are more comfortable with that with that type of language, but in smart, it's not even an issue. Right, right. I, you know, I mean, it is it is a literature and a philosophy from the, the 30s. You know, from the yeah. the Oxford group and and that you know Judeo Christian sort of out, uh, outline for how you should live. And uh, I mean, it's got some good points, but. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it is, uh, you know, been there since long, you know, long before uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that. E- even even uh, psychiatry and psychology back then was more uh, mystical based, you know, with Carl Jung and the subconscious of Freud and, and that sort of thing. And, and so it, it is quite different than you know, cognitive behavioral uh, philosophy. Can you, you want to talk a bit about, about the nuts and bolts of, of the cognitive behavioral therapy, the four point program sure. and, and all, and how sure. that works? Well, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy was developed uh, again as a reaction to sort of the mysticism or uh, subconscious 
motivational beliefs of psychiatry and psychology at the time that to, to reflect that people really just needed practical practical ways and means to improve their life. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whether you had Freudian issues with your mother was, you know, that's not going to affect how, you know, you yelling at your wife. Now, what you need to do is learn how to get along. And, and so these mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral techniques were, uh, developed to, um, uh, help us, uh, live, you know, again, happy, healthy, productive lives. Mm-hmm. The um, several uh, tools were developed uh, along with that. One of the earliest that I could talk about uh, is called the ABCs. Mm-hmm. Um, the In CBT therapy, um, there's a belief that a lot of your uh, suffering and uh, the way you are handling things in a, in a negative manner is due to your beliefs about what things are happening versus what actually happens. Okay, the ABCs stands for um, an action that causes negative beliefs. And then the Bs are beliefs or what are your uh, irrational beliefs about the event. Mm -hmm. And C is what are the consequences of that belief. And D is how you dispute those negative beliefs. And E Mm -hmm. is what is a more effective behavior. Like, uh, uh, for instance, uh, uh, a young lady came into uh, my meeting and she had an issue that was actually giving her a lot of cravings and feeling bad about herself and she wanted to use. And uh, so, okay, what happened? Let's unpack this. And what had happened is she has had a boyfriend who um, she asked him, let's do something next Thursday. And Mm -hmm. he sort of gave her an ambiguous answer. And it was kind of clear that it's okay, we'll do something Thursday unless something better comes along. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, I don't re- know the exact words, but that was basically what he meant. And so she felt terrible about this that, you know, and, and so she comes into the meeting all upset. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, here's the action, this ambiguous answer from her uh, boyfriend. And what are mm-hmm. your, what were her beliefs about the act, what he did? Mm-hmm. And so, so she starts filling in the blanks. Okay, well, I feel like, He's dismissing me. I'm not important to him. And then, then it can get into more irrationality, like I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not pretty enough. I'm too fat. I'm too, you know, and all these negative beliefs about ourselves. And, and the uh, consequences of that is it's um, giving her cravings. It's, it's making her mm-hmm. feel bad about herself. And, you know, she was, you know, a, an addict. And her way to compensate with negative feelings was to get loaded. Mm-hmm. And um, so so let's dispute those beliefs. Do you feel you're really unlovable? Uh, is your weight really a big problem? And and so 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 no, I'm fine. I'm a good person, you know. Mm-hmm. So all these positive things started coming out to dispute the negative things that she was telling herself. Mm-hmm. And I says, okay, well, what is uh, an effective behavior for this? And right, and it, it's kind of like she, you know, it's kind of like a light came on. She goes. Oh my God, I, I just have wow. to, I can't, can't have this guy in my life, you know? And, and, uh, and so, you know, she, she's actually, you know, kind of did end up sort of stopping uh, dating him and uh, is doing fine mm-hmm. now. That's neat. So you took her through that process 
um, at the meeting that she came Correct. to. That's so cool. Now, in smart, see, occasionally mm -hmm. you do go up to a, a blackboard or whiteboard or whatever you have. We have a whiteboard in our room. Really? And we actually plot okay. this out and write this out. And, and, it, and if you look in the manual or the handbook, you'll, uh -huh. you'll see there are a lot of pages that have things where yep. you write in. And In fact, what I'm looking at right now is the tools um, page that you gave me. And I'm looking at the ABC problem-solving worksheet. Right. And you can actually go and type in on that thing all of the ABCDs, and um, you can reset it, use it, use it again later, or print it out, whatever you need to do. It's kind of nice. Yeah. So um, you, I guess you would learn a tool like this, the ABCD tool, the ABC problem solving tool. So you could hope you could actually just do it on your own, even at right. home, right? You right. Just, One yeah. of the issues with the the ABC tool, and this is a belief of cognitive behavioral therapy in general is we have mm -hmm. sort of two modes of thinking in our brain. One is called type one and, and then there's type two or fast thinking versus slow thinking. Now the fast thinking is our immediate emotions or cravings. You know, we, we see uh, a beer commercial, we get a craving to drink. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and that's sort of automatic and instantaneous. And um, the slow thinking is again, disputing those cravings or, you, you know, you, basically it's your sort of frontal cortex kicking in and, and trying mm -hmm. to regulate the, the fast thinking is, is the more primitive, you know, the, the pleasure seeking centers, that sort of thing acting. Yep. And it's your cerebral cortex that tries to, um, rein in the, uh, <clears throat> you know, the desires that you have. And, mm -hmm. uh, the ABCs obviously apply to your slow thinking. I mean, you know, if someone, uh, it's not the sort of thing you can, you know, you might have to unpack after the event, but, um, right. you know, hopefully you'll do that before you, you know, pick up a drink or whatever. And maybe sometimes, um, slow thinking never kicks in for people. Maybe for me, sometimes if I'm not thinking about, I just, all I do is just the, the first part, the, the, fast, the immediate, yeah. yeah. And never really stop and do the slow thinking. So this, you kind of learn this to start doing that on a regular basis, I guess. Right. And it's like anything, it takes a little practice and a little, mm -hmm. you know, uh, consistency. You know, mm -hmm. I, I just read a thing on the curious case of Phineas Cage. I don't know if you ever heard of him. I have. Yeah. Okay. How he got his uh, frontal cortex uh, injured and uh, uh, he managed to survive it back then, but he had lost all self-control. Uh, he was uh -huh. a, sort of a regular guy who became a, um, you know, alcoholic and a gambler and womanizer and all this sort of stuff after, after this yeah. injury. And that is our, you know, our higher centers, our, our cerebral cortex, you know, hopefully trying to keep us, uh, under control. You know, it's mm -hmm. almost for, uh, the alcoholic or the addict. It's, uh, our brain fighting with itself. So, um, who came up with this stuff? Was, were, were, the people that started SMART, were, were they like psychologists yes, or psychiatrists? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't remember all the names offhand, but uh, yeah, several okay. people started this like in the mid-90s or so. And uh, yeah, they were mostly mental health professionals who who uh, well, were thinking that the addiction establishment as is uh, needed improvement or they needed something yeah. additional and uh, sort of got together and started this, this program. And... Also, I read that every smart group or every smart facilitator has a psychologist, psychiatrist or whatever that 
kind of that you can use as a consultant. So they're not necessarily in the meeting. Is that, do I understand that? That's right? true. The different regions have different, um, you know, again, professional sort of on call or uh, mm-hmm. that we have access to, to, to communicate with. Um, Smart also has um, a weekly uh, sort of uh, Skype group meetings where mm-hmm. um, we can uh, hash out problems or issues going on. And, uh, you know, there's discussion. There's also uh, a forum on uh, smartrecovery.org that's just for mm-hmm. uh, facilitators and issues they may mm-hmm. have. And, you know, you throw it up to the group. And, and there's also, uh, you know, a Google group uh, for facilitators mm-hmm. where we go over these issues and have discussions about things. And uh, so it's fairly easy to sort of, if you have issues going on, to, um, you know, hash them out. Um, is it fairly common for like somebody like me who's has a lot of sobriety and been in AA for a while to try SMART? I mean, it's like, I'm not, like, I, I wonder if I would, if they would, welcome me because I'm, I'm not like struggling with I don't want to drink or anything but I do think that this kind these tools could help me in my daily life you know I, I think that's a very good point um, the um, you know I, I should mention that the smart program is considered like a four-point program it's mm-hmm. building and maintaining motivation coping mm-hmm. with urges managing mm-hmm. thoughts feelings and behaviors and achieving lifestyle balance right now, one and two there are probably more important for newcomers and right. three and four really are more for people you know with a little bit of time and mm-hmm. um uh, although there's certainly a lot of uh admixture with those points mm-hmm. but uh yeah like 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 for instance things like boyfriends dissing you is going to happen regardless of how much, you know, right. sobriety you have. And it can help you to deal with those issues. Right. And um, so it is just a, um, a program for anybody. And I have had a few people come in who do have a significant time. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they're, they're generally very welcome. And, and uh, they do have a lot to contribute to the group because they do have, okay. you know, more time. Yeah, because I, I, I definitely want to, um, I was checking out meetings in Kansas City, and there's there are a few, but I found that most of them are like at the VA centers, and they're actually closed for the oh. veterans in the centers. But there is a meeting, um, like in the suburbs, that I could get to. And I think I might try to go to that just to have an experience of what it's like and also try it online. Um, but... I almost want to have some respect for the people that are there. I don't want to just go as a, you know, just out of curiosity, but, um, cause I know that people, you know, when I, hell, when I came to AA, I, I was coming because I really needed some serious help. Well, no, no, you, you would certainly be welcome. You, okay. you know, I, I think, um, you know, when they do the check-in just mention, you know, your, uh-huh. your name and that you've been to AA for X number of years and you've been doing mm-hmm. well, but just wanted to, uh, check out what okay. smart is about. And, uh, Okay. You know, you can remain silent and just listen, but uh, I'm sure you'll have mm-hmm. a lot of uh, wisdom to impart to the group. Okay. Well, this is um, this really is fascinating. So, um, what else uh, kind of tools through the four point system? Uh, the four points. Uh, what do you want to talk okay, about? Okay. Well, you know, talking about uh, point one, building and maintaining mm-hmm. motivation. As you know, mm-hmm. when a newcomer comes, they may have doubts about their drinking problem and, and stuff that they really may not be very motivated to get sober. They might just mm-hmm. be there on a court card. Who knows? Um, right. So what uh, the chapter three in the smart handbook will uh, gives uh, a bit of a formula. They start out with um, 
a tool they call it the hierarchy of values. And this is another useful tool to do at the, you know, whiteboard when, you know, at a meeting is you ask one of the people who are trying to get sober to list their values. And you'll almost always, almost invariably, people will value, you know, they want a loving relationship. They want a good family relationship. They want to be good to their kids. They want a nice career. They, you know, they want a PhD or, uh, you know, they, they, they generally value, you know, uh, typical significant things. And mm -hmm. so you go, okay, well, what is, where's alcohol on this list? Because that's obviously been the most important thing to you. That's how you're mm -hmm. behaving. Everything else is a far second compared to your drinking because you're sacrificing, you know, all of these values for getting drunk. And yeah. people often kind of don't think about it. That, that that's what they're doing. So you can go over, you know, what uh, they can add the three questions to that. What is, what do I want for my future? Now, most people invariably say, I don't want to drive from, die from liver failure on Skid Row. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. You know, they say, well, I, I'd like to have a nice family and a home and, you know, a nice job, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> and what am I currently doing to achieve that? And, um, and, and then you ask them, how do they feel about that? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, most people will leave that process feeling like, you know, what I've been doing and what I say I want to do are 180 degrees apart. Yeah. And, and yeah. hopefully it'll give them enough motivation to, to come back to a meeting and, you know, put the plug in the jug. And, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, another thing they do for... Uh, uh, for the uh, uh, maintaining motivation is is what's called the the change plan worksheet, and what that is, it's just a simple tool to put realistic goals for what you want to do. You know, let's say on mm -hmm. your value list, you put, I want to get a PhD in some subject, and okay, so mm -hmm. on your change plan worksheet, you you know, you put, well, first first thing is register for college, you, you know, and make it simple, right. small steps. So it doesn't seem so daunting. Like I can never do this, you know, yeah. make a series of small steps that are doable uh, and hopefully measurable. Like by next month, I want to have uh, applications into, you know, so many colleges and uh, start working on that. Mm -hmm. uh, another imp great tool for uh, the first point is what's called the, the cost benefit analysis. Now, mm -hmm. one thing, and this, this is often a contrast with 12-step uh, groups, is uh, people hear a lot of drunkologues and horror stories, 12-step. Right. Whereas when people come to SMART, we kind of want them to recognize that you're not being irrational. You're not being, you know, there's reasons why you may have drunk maybe drinking. Mm -hmm. And so um, we put uh, do what's called a cost benefit analysis. And, and again, you just sort of yeah. draw a, a T and go up on the board and, and ask mm -hmm. people to list what are your benefits? And uh, people will say, well, I, I like, I like to feel a little buzz. I think it, yeah. it, it gives me, I think I'm funnier. I, it gives me courage. It elevates my mood, you know, whatever sort mm -hmm. of benefit that, um, that they get. So mm -hmm. you're not made to feel like you're just being a crazy drunk by your behavior, yeah. okay? And then we put on the other side of the, the thing, what are the, the costs of doing this? And then we add hangovers, DUIs, right. death, right. <laughs> liver failure, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. 
And, and uh, you know, one thing you need to do is, is point out that these benefits that you're getting all tend to be immediate and, and really short-lived. Yeah. Okay. And all the consequences are deferred down the road. The hangover yeah. is the next day. The liver failure may be years from now. You know, losing the job might be months from now. So the the uh, uh, the costs of your behavior, uh, it's a little harder to see. But again, mm-hmm. I, I, I literally encourage my meeting members to uh, keep a copy of their cost-benefit analysis on them. And when they're really getting a craving or if they're in a slippery situation, like, you know, pull it out and read it. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's a helpful tool for them. It's interesting. I'm looking at the uh, worksheet right now. And so on the top part, it says, um, you know, what are the advantages and disadvantages of using or doing? And then the bottom of the sheet says, what are the advantages and disadvantages of not using and doing? So hopefully, you know, you'll do this thing and you'll see that um, your advantages of not are heavier on the bottom and your disadvantages are heavier on the top. Correct. Uh, Again, all of the uh, disadvantages of using, again, are long term. And most of the advantages of not using are also long term. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it's it's a it's 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 again, it's a hard thing to see. You got to be a little disciplined. And, you know, it's like I, I. I tell some people uh, the the classic thing is smoking because the benefits might be I get a little mood elevation, you, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it decreases my stress or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the disadvantages tend to be less, but very long term. And, it, and it's hard for people to see that. I mean, that's that's what killed Bill Wilson, you know, um, right. the, the, the disadvantages are are, you know, Years down the road, lung cancer. I, I have two brothers-in-law right. died from lung cancer, and uh, yeah. you know it was useless telling them to quit smoking. You know, a couple decades ago, but uh, if people uh, at least keep it in their awareness that mm-hmm. there are long-term consequences, hopefully it'll help their uh, present behavior. That's a good point because it's not necessarily the I guess the quant the number of the disadvantages but like if you have just if the one disadvantage is that you die then uh, that that would probably outweigh all of the other advantages <laughs> that you might have doing that thing. So this is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, another um you know so so often doing those sort of three tools and stuff can often get people you know, at least started in the program and at least started, uh, you know, stay, stay sober. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, point two, coping with urges that uh, comes along for anybody, anytime. And, and this is why I encourage AA people to, to come to SMART because no matter what you believe in, you're going to struggle with urges and, and you know, cravings right. and things. So um, there's some simple tools that they got. Uh, again, uh, like I mentioned, the reading your cost-benefit analysis or hierarchy of values uh, is useful. Uh, when you get an mm-hmm. urge, again, that involves slow thinking versus your immediate urge. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, encourage uh, urge log, f- try to figure out what your triggers are and hopefully avoid them. And, um, uh, you know, they teach that urges are not all-powerful. They may feel that way at the mm-hmm. time, but they will pass, uh, you know, and uh, you can bear with them for a while. They, they have a little mm-hmm. thing uh, that they call the deads. The D is for deny or delay the urge. Just remember it'll pass. E is escape. You know, if you're at a party where they're ser- serving drinks and you're getting nervous and getting cravings, just leave. 
So escape, mm-hmm. uh, uh, A can be avoid triggers, and D is distraction, a very important thing. Uh, if you get an urge and you're bored, just do something, you know, mm-hmm. you go for a walk, go, you know, go to a meeting, you know, do what you need to do just to uh, distract yourself. Now, they also have a tool that they call DISARM, which is, in my opinion, the worst acronym out of uh, SMART. <laughs> it's called it's a DISARM Destructive Images and Self-Talk Refusal Method. Okay. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I believe happens with any addiction is you nurture or develop an inner voice that wants to sabotage your uh, recovery. Uh, I think a lot of people can relate to a voice telling them, oh, it's okay to have a drink. It's okay to just do one, you know, use once Mm -hmm. and then you'll be back to normal. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you deserve a break. It's this little voice in our Mm -hmm. head that wants to sabotage us. And um, uh, what we do is we'll have people sort of recognize that they will have this voice and to treat it as such, to realize some people will give it a name like, their inner monster or their inner addict. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, they're able to, uh, you know, dispute or talk back to that voice. He says, I know what will happen if I drink, you know, screw you. It's just like, that's just like brain activity. It's just like, you know, it's not, you don't have to actually act upon it. Right. You can stop and think, okay, this is just this this guy talking to me, trying to convince me to do something that I that's that's not going to be good for me. Because we will have thoughts. I mean, I don't care how long you you're you don't drink or drug or gamble or whatever. I mean, you're always going to have a time where that voice will come into your head. That guy's going to try to talk you right. into doing that thing. Yeah, another thing I'll I'll tell people just to be encouraging, especially newcomers, is that that voice gets uh, less common, uh, mm-hmm. uh, not as assertive and shorter lasting the, the voice diminishes with time very true i agree with that. that's my experience anyway and i haven't even done smart before <laughs> but yeah i had i had loud screaming voices in the first few weeks and now i just have a little whisper once yeah. in a while yeah so that's that's the thing i think most people can relate to and again um you know i, I encourage anybody who, who wants to go to the meetings to go if they think these things can uh, help them out yeah you know i i think that people in the secular aa movement um i don't think a lot of them have a lot of experience with smart but i think they would be open to doing this in conjunction with aa i don't think that a lot of the people in traditional aa if they're really buying the party line unfortunately are going to want to do it because a lot of people in aa they get so damn dogmatic about this is it. You know, if you do anything outside of this, you, like you mentioned, the guy with the sponsor says you can't do both. I think you can do both. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, we get uh, some recovery homes and rehab centers, you know, that bring in groups once in a while. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I really try to encourage getting familiar with with AA and getting used to it. Cause one, a lot of them come from out of area and they'll probably mm-hmm. be going back to areas of the country that don't even have smart. And, mm-hmm. um, so, uh, you know, you know, get along with AA and, you know, take what you need and leave the rest. You don't have to believe anything. You know, even right. the big book says it's to be meant as a suggestion only. If enough of them do start going to meetings, they could actually help change the culture of AA too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. yeah you're, you're right. Uh, you, you know, there, there's, is sort of a, one of the things about, the secular movement in AA is again another name for for atheists and agnostics and things is free thinkers and and the free yeah. thinkers are more open to alternative modes of uh, recovery and yeah. um, you know uh, I think if smart can benefit you check it out absolutely and how is um 
I mean, there are a lot of smart meetings out there, um, and it's no accident. I don't think that around in my community, they're mostly at the VA because I bet you the government is wanting people to, it, wanting to use secular alternatives and, and not like they used to probably use AA more than they, and they probably don't use AA that much anymore. Part of but, the problem I've heard, uh, again, this is something I just read uh, a while ago, is that um, the recovery industry, in order to continue to get compensation from the government and things, may have to shift to more science-based. Uh, right. Uh, plans. And um, so SMART is more science-based. There is a body of research. Again, the, the re, as you know, research in recovery issues is is very poor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can almost believe whatever you want to believe and, you know, find some studies to back you up. Uh, but uh, does SMART do any like follow-up and try to keep statistics? Because AA absolutely doesn't. Does SMART do any of you know, like, there, anything there, like that? You know, again, there have been some some studies and stuff. Uh, it, the, uh, I, I could uh, email you a link. There was a good study out of Australia okay. recently where um, uh, SMART seems to be spreading a little more rapidly that where they worked in prisons with patients mm-hmm. with um, who were in prison for drug-related offenses. And, st- mm-hmm. and there was a lower uh, recidivism rate for the prisoners who had gone through smart recovery while in, you know, in their hmm. prison than with uh, 12 steps. So, uh, you know, there, there is some, again, you know, studies are, are real hard uh, to come by and real yeah. hard to control. But, uh, you know, there there is some evidence that uh, it is useful. Yep. Um, I read a book I, and I talk about this book too off too much. Um, if, if you it works if you work it anyway. Um, they they did they talked about this project match where um, they actually studied cognitive behavioral therapy along with twelve step facilitation, and cognitive behavioral therapy was very um, useful. And basically, I think what the study found was that it's a mixed bag. You know, it's not like one approach is is right for every one person or everybody. You know, it's a mixed bag approach that that you people should take. Um, and I think that study found pretty much what you described in your article, that the strength of the AA or the 12-step um, facilitation treatment was um, the support that you get from the other people because there's so many people Right, right. Involved. And, and, uh, and we, I certainly, you know, there's a gentleman who comes to my meeting who's a regular, been there over a year, who uh, got sober in AA 16 years ago. And he, he just mm-hmm. says, I've made tons of friends there. I've never worked the steps. I've never secretaried a meeting, never did any, you know, mm-hmm. I've just made a lot of good friends. And and uh, mm-hmm. that's what kept them sober. So, you know, the bottom line is even uh, Bill Wilson had a different program than Dr. Bob. And, yeah. and so, you know, you need to have your program, and uh, right. Uh, so, uh, do what works for you, and and use what's out there. Uh, and, and again, the the community s- support of AA can be, um, you know, it's there, it's ubiquitous. Why not mm-hmm. use it? Absolutely, and and why not use smart too? <laughs> I'll say as well. So, Steve, thank you very much for this. I enjoyed the conversation. I'm going to be um, learning more about smart. Maybe we can talk again someday in the future. And if you ever want to write another article, we'd love to have that. Terrific. Um, have you do that. Okay. So thank you for that contribution very much. Okay. Uh, let me just mention, if somebody wants to uh, say hello, check in on my website. Just go to uh, ocsmart.org. That's my uh, website that I run for the uh, mm-hmm. County Smart. And uh you know, my email is there. So you've done a great job with that website, by the way. We're, we'll put a link to that on the um, 
podcast when we when we publish right. it. But you did a really good job with that. You're also the webmaster, aren't you? Did a good job. Right, with thanks. That. Yeah, I, I I I plunked down a three year thing for it and paid cash in advance, so it'll it'll be up there for a while. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, I enjoyed it. All right. Yep. All right, Have a good a one. Bye bye. Well, that's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. We'll be back soon. Until then, be well.